With Tucker Carlson out at Fox News, the network suffers record low ratings. Also in the news, more and more colleges jump on the bandwagon and start holding race-based graduation events. Also, we have a grown man shooting at a six-year-old girl because her ball rolled into his yard. As sad as it sounds, this is the reality that we all sadly have to live in. But that's only half of the stuff we have planned, so buckle up and let's dig in. Facts over facts over tracks is a mess, spitting slow, spitting fast. I could roast, I could gas, think I'm okay at last, but I don't know if that can erase all the past. With the departure from Fox News last week, people know exactly how powerful Tucker Carlson really is. This is proven by looking at the viewership that he used to have every single day on his show. Some people think that it's just because he was at the prime time spot, not because of him personally. But the people that say this could not be more wrong. A few days after he parted ways from Fox News, the prime spot only garnered one fourth of the viewers it once did with him hosting and does not even make the top 50 on the viewership scale. He is a very powerful person and he will just take his audience wherever he goes. This is proven by looking at a video that he posted from his home on Twitter. It garnered 70 million views. This shows that he doesn't need mainstream media to get him views. The Federalist even says that this marks the beginning of the end of corporate media. Even though I don't believe Fox News is going to go anywhere anytime soon, we as a conservative and Republican base have the power to not support businesses that operate like this. It's not right what happened to him, and no one should be ousted the, like this unless you are Don Lemon, in which case you deserve it. But I do find it funny that even though these two firings happened on the same day and are similar in nature, people are largely talking about Tucker Carlson instead of Don Lemon because Don Lemon opened his mind so much throughout the years that his brain popped out as Michael Knowles liked to say. What we witness firsthand through the years with both of, the, both of these people tells a very distinct story. Tucker learned through the years and questioned more and more things. While on the other hand, Don Lemonhead started by questioning things, but then just accepted what he was told by the elites. And by the looks of it, you can tell who came out on top. With that being said, let's move on to the headlines of the week. Okay, moving into the first headline we actually have is the story that we were talking about just a couple seconds ago. A six-year-old girl and parents shot after basketball rolls into a man's yard in North Carolina. A North Carolinan six-year-old and her parents were shot Tuesday night by an angry neighbor who fired at them after a basketball rolled into his yard, a report said. Chris Lee White was wounded along with her mother, Ashley Hil Hilderbrand and father William White, when a gunman opened fire around 8 p.m. in Guston County after he became enraged about the bouncing ball, according to WSOC-TV. William White was critically injured attempting to protect his daughter. Neighbors told the station a group of kids were playing basketball when a ball bounced into the alleged gunman's yard. Suspected shooter Robert Lewis Singletary grew angry and ran down the street as he fired at the neighbor. They reportedly said. Then he came back and began shooting at the family, including the young dad daughter, who needed stitches on her face from bullet fragments. WSOC TV reported. Her father was also hit. He was still in the hospital Wednesday, police said. Now, this is a picture of the daughter. Very, very sad. And this is a picture of the family right here. Very, very sad. He reportedly tried to draw gunfire towards him to keep the kids safe. 
before he was struck in the back. We didn't even know the man, Kinsley told the station, adding, why did you shoot at my daddy and me? Why did you shoot at a kid's dad? Hildebrand was grazed by the bullet and is recovering at home with her daughter. WSOC-TV reported, Neighbors told the station that Singletary allegedly kept shooting until he was out of bullets. He looked at my husband and daughter and told them, I'm going to kill you, Hildebrand told the station. This is crime scene photos. He's been charged with four counts of first-degree attempted murder, two counts of assault with a deadly weapon, with intent to kill or inflict serious injury, and one count of possession by a firearm of, of a firearm by a felon, Guston County Police said. The department is seeking the public's help in locating and arresting the fugitive, offering a $1,000 reward. Um, so this is actually not um, updated because he has since turned himself in for that supposed $1,000. So that's the story right here. Um, people are just neglecting the fact that this has been very, very racial. I mean, he said that he's going to kill them strictly because they are white. So, of course, the mainstream media does not want to talk about this because of the fact that he said that he's going to kill this family because they are white. There's no other reason why the media has to have other and any other narrative except for this because that is the only narrative that is available to us or at the moment if we want to sit here and say that if a white person person kills a black person it's strictly because of the skin tone if there's no other motive we have to say the same exact situation here because that's exactly how we treat every situation so i mean yes he's just a, a crazy lunatic of a person that did not even deserve to have a gun in the first place because you're mentally deranged but, of course, you had a gun in the first place, and now you attempted to kill a six-year-old child. That's disgusting. Moving on to the next art article, we actually have a Daily Caller article. We have more universities jump on the trend of holding race-based graduation events. Several universities are holding individual graduation events to celebrate students who identify a specific race or sexual orientation. The events are held separate from the larger commitment ceremony and aim to recognize students in a smaller environment. Um, multiple colleges and universities across the county country are holding different graduation celebrations and events for students based on their racial and back in backgrounds and sexual orientation. The different events are held for students based on their racial or sexual identity and are in addition to the larger official commitment ceremony honoring this semester's graduates according to the serious event descriptions university of oklahoma illinois state university georgetown university california polyethic state university arizona state university grand valley state university and harvard university are among the schools that have events scheduled for spring graduates segregated graduates of graduations divide the student body at exactly the time that, st that students should celebrate their common achievements at their Ella Matter. Adam Kizzle, Kizzle, visiting fellow at on higher education reform at the Heritage Foundation, told the Daily Caller News Foundation, segregated events make the sadly common mistake of presuming the, that people with the same racial identity should be treated separately because their race makes them essentially the same. Americans overcome segregation a long time ago, but too many colleges are bringing it back. I completely agree. UO's multicultural graduations are hosted by multicultural programs and services in, in the gender plus equality centers and offers a more intimate celebration of students' economics, 
academic journeys according to its website the graduation celebrates which are whole, held on separate days are designed for american indian asian american and pacific islander black let and x and lgbtqrscvwx pooping face emoji laughing face emoji blush emoji students multicultural programs and services in the oval the Office of Student Life at the University of Oklahoma offers a wide range of programming, services, and involvement opportunities throughout the year focused on engaging all students with the educational opportunities to learn about many cultures represented on campus. A university spokesperson told the DCNF, which is a BS excuse for dividing our nation based off of where you came from and who you are as a person. That's disgusting. No, we are all Americans at the end of the day, and we're going to have the same exact graduation because we're all the same. We fought for equality in the LGBTQRSTV, WXYZ, pooping face emoji, laughing face emoji, um, blush emoji, you know, crying face emoji. We, we asked for equality in that group. Now that we get equality, we want to segregate again? No, 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 no. And even the Latinx, Latins, not Latinx, Lat. Latinx, whatever the hell you want to say, that's just stupid. It's just Latina and Lat Latino. Okay, those are the two things that are in actual reality. We're not going to say Latinx. Latinos and Latinas come from America. We, we are American together. Okay, you can be a Hispanic American, but you're still American. We're going to have the same exact American tradition, which is a ceremony to celebrate your graduation. Oh, I can't. Participation in these ceremonies is completely voluntary and does not take the place of university commitment, the website clarifies. Any graduating student is welcome to participate in these events. Oh yeah, because you're going to allow a white person in the black events. How is that going to go? You're going to let a straight person celebrate in the LGBTQRSTVWXYZ um, celebration? And you're going to let a a white person celebrate in the Latinx celebration? No, you're not going to do that because these parties and these celebrations are are made for these black people or the Latinx or the Lavender graduation, which is the LGBTQ, uh, the Native graduation ceremony. These things are all made so we can have separate graduations. So you can't now say, oh, no, but everybody's invited to these separate events. You're going to really allow that? No, you're not, because that's a BS excuse. That's just BS at its very core. Now, with that being said, we're going to be moving into the next article. I mean, the first article of the Media Takes segment. I don't ever smoke up. No, I don't take. I got no love. Okay, starting off, we have a CNN article. We have, how bad is it for Ron DeSantis? He's polling at RFK Jr.'s level. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has spent the past few months running to the right ahead of its expected entry into the 2024 Republican presidential primary campaign from signing into law a six-week abortion ban and fighting Disney. The governor has focused on satisfactorying satisfying the party's conservative base so far at least those efforts have not paid off in the republican primary polling with desantis falling further behind the current front runner former donald former president donald trump things have gone so bad for desantis that recently fox news poll shows him at 21 percent comparable to the 19 percent that robert f kennedy jr who was pushed debunkly conspiracy theories about the vaccine safety is receiving on the Democratic side. Okay, so of course he's they're going to just attack RFK, whatever they can now because he went against the vaccines. Now the v vaccine was BS, 
And we're actually going to investigate the vaccines on Wednesday because some news has dropped about that, but I want that to be the headline of the week. But, you know, DeSantis was at the 28% in the Fox Fox's February poll, 15 points behind Trump. The Florida governor's support has dropped in the two polls published since and now and he now trails the former president by 32 points early polling problems the fox poll is not alone in showing desantis flowering fluttering the latest average of the national polls has him dropping by from the low 30s into the low 20s this may not seem like a big deal but early polling has been long an indicator of how well presidential candidates do in the primary in the following year of all the primary elections since 1972 without incumbents running um candidates at around 30 percent in the early polls like desantis was in february have gone on to become their party's nominees about 40 percent of the time candidates going polling the way desantis is now have gone to on to win about 20 percent of the time i will of course point out that 20 percent is nothing desantis must certainly still have a chance of winning the comparison the comparison with kennedy is not a remark on kennedy's strength but on desantis's weakness okay so what so they're making the same exact point but they're bringing kennedy down while they're making this point against DeSantis, but now they're saying, oh, wait, no, but we don't mean this an attack to Kennedy at all. We love Kennedy, but except for the uh, the conspiracies, uh, we love him, though. But, of course, we love him, but, you know, he is a little low in the polls. My Joey B over here in the White House, he has a lot more votes than him. Um, that's what CNN would like to say, at least. I will, of course, point out that, okay, so that's what I just said. Um, there is no historical example of an incumbent in President Joe Biden's current position, over 60% of the latest Fox polling, losing a primary. At this point in 1995, Bill Clinton was polling roughly where Biden is now, and he had no problem winning the Democratic nomination the following year. In the same campaign, Jesse Jackson was pulling near 20% in a number of the early surveys against Clinton. So what we're seeing from Kennedy is not as of yet a historical anomaly. anomaly. Jackson did not run in the 1996 race. The power of incumbency is strong enough to deter most challengers. The last three incumbents to either lose state primary elections, won on the ballot, or dropped out of the race, Lyndon Johnson in 1968, General Ford in 1976, and Jimmy Carter in 1980, were at least 40% of the vote or up by fewer than 10 points at this point in the primary polling the good news for DeSantis is that he doesn't need to beat an incumbent though one could make the case that trump is polling like one in facts DeSantis's decline is the least in part because of trump's rise the former president who has been in indicted on federal crime um criminal charges in new york has gone from the low to mid-40s to above 50% in the average 2024 polling. Trump has pleaded not guilty to the cha the charges, of course he would, DeSantis's missteps. But one could also argue that DeSantis isn't helping his case and has yet to finally announce his 2024 campaign. Most past no nominees have already done so or had filled out with the Federal Election Commission at this point in the race, and the governor's play at the right doesn't line up what where the anti-trump forces are within the republican party trump has continually been 
weakest among party moderates. A Quinnipiac University poll released at the end of March found that he was polling at in the 61% among very conservative Republicans while garnering a mere 30% from the moderate and liberal Republicans. The moderate wing is part of the party that is at least likely to want a ban on abortions after six weeks. A KFF poll taken late last year showed moderate and liberal Republicans split 50-50 on whether they wanted a six-week abortion ban. The group isn't small. Moderates and liberals make up about 30% of the potential Republican primary votes voters in the Quinnipiac poll. Indeed, DeSantis' other, DeSantis's other big news-making action, his fight with Disney, has managed to split the GOP as well. A Reuters poll from last week found, although a clear majority sided with the governor, 64%, 36% of Republicans do not. For reference, over 80% of Republicans said in a Fox News poll that Trump had nothing to do with illegal had done nothing illegal with regard to criminal charges against him in in New York. Of course he didn't. DeSantis at the moment isn't building a base. He's dividing Republicans and allowing Trump to claim an electorability mandal. The general electorate remains opposed to a six-week abortion ban and his position on Disney. We'll see if those if that changes those changes should make his polling position improve after a official campaign launch if it doesn't, this may end up being one of the most boring presidential primary seasons in the modern era, giving Biden's and Trump's significant advantages. But Biden has no advantages except for taking a nap in the middle of the day and sniffing children. So those are the two advantages Joe Biden has, and DeSantis actually gets things done. Okay, moving on to the next article, we actually have an MSNBC article. We have the debt ceiling is entirely up. up Obtainary and the GOP knows it. What's a spear? One hundred and ninety billion matter million dollar matter. When you're busy trying to make life harder for millions of Americans. Oh, poor baby, you can't kill babies, and you can't trans your daughter or your son. What? Oh my God, life is so hard. Go to a first world country and tell me that life is hard in America. Oh my God, a third world country. Go to, go to India. Go to anywhere. Go to Africa. Life is not hard here in America. Before House Republicans narrowly pass a bill Wednesday, that would include raising the debt ceiling in exchange for a new round of shredding America's social safety net. House Majority Leader Steve Scalise, Republican from LA, offered up a folksy summaration of the issue. President Joe Biden, he said, he's maxed out the nation's credit card. Yeah, he did. Though, I've used similar language with a different framing. It's not the best... Analogy: The better comparison to our debt ceiling situation would be a bank providing a credit card with literally no limit because a credit card holder insisting there that there be a limit and pitching a fit when that limit appears approaches. Okay, so I can kind of see what they're saying here, but also the fact that yes and no. Yes, there is no limit to the debt, but no, technically there is not a limit to the debt because if we keep going on and on and on with this debt, then the minimum balance that we're going to have to pay per month for this debt is going to be so high that it's going to pass our GDP It's and we're going to default on it. It's not just unlimited. 
It's like the bank, you just keep asking the bank for a credit line increase, credit line increase, credit line increase. They give you $20,000, $20,000, $30,000. You can spend that $30,000 in one month, but the minimum payment that you're going to have to make would be like $1,000 on this card every single month. And on top of that, the interest rate is about 25% on credit cards right now. So every $100, you're paying $25. So if you have a $10,000 max, let's just say that, you're paying a hefty four times. Let's do this four. Okay, so I, I, I mean, add two zeros. So the, you're spending $2,500 on the $10,000. I mean, yeah, $10,000 max every single month. So never mind the whole entire United States as a whole. Oof. The difference between these two illustrations matters because Republicans know well that the debt ceiling itself is obtainary as a made up. It's not a stretch to say the amount of debt that the United States can take on itself is entirely made up. No, it's not entirely made up because like I said, there's a minimum payment that we're going to have to make eventually. Any increase to the debt ceiling itself, currently set at $31.4 trillion, has historically been based on nothing more than what we will suffice politically, politically until the next time it needs to be raised. Tucker Tucked inside a CNN article is how House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, Republican from California, pulled off Wednesday's vote was an eye-opener. In a private meeting in the Capitol, GOP leaders de deliberated how high of a limit debt increase limit debt limit increase they should seek. Some had floated ad numbers because it sounded more international than in e in an eve. Even number. What? The members suggested $169 trillion, but that was rejected because the enormous associated with such a figure. According to three GOP sources, ultimately a $1.5 trillion increase was the number they settled on. For the record, the $1.5 trillion amount that they landed on is expected to carry the country through less than a year, which at which point Republicans would be holding a us hostage again. And in the middle of a presidential election season, I'm not a econo economic economist, but and I can't say any how I can't say how much longer it would take to reach a debt ceiling, 190 trillion dollars higher. But the House GOP leadership understands that, despite its dire public warnings of a of what a debt increase would mean, the way. The number of sounds matters more than the number itself. Ideally, Congress would simply abolish the debt ceiling as easily as it was created in 1939. Since then, Congress has acted 78 separate times to permanently raise, temporarily extend, or reverse the definition of the debt limit. According to the Treasury Department, in the limit, in the limit hasn't exactly been a driver of physical responsibility in the intervening years. As I pointed out numerous times, Republicans and Democrats alike similarly, similarly ignored the spending caps put into place during the 2011 debt ceiling fight when they become incumbent. Indeed, Instead, the GOP seems to be pursuing one of the two struggles these days, neither one of them sensible. The first, which have, which has become somehow become the establishment position over the last decade, is that the Democrats will blink in the GOP's game in the, of physical chicken. No, these antics won't balance or budget anything, but if this current hostage-taking works, it will set a precedent for further spending cuts next year once the 
ceiling is hit again. This is a gamble, to say the least. Given that there is a little chance that the Republicans stay united should be contents of a Wednesday's bill be changed during negotiations. Okay, so I'm going to hold you right there. I don't know why Democrats are so obsessed with the idea that, oh my God, we're playing hostage with the, with the, we're playing hostage with the economy. No, you're the one playing hostage with the economy when you're the one that destroyed the economy from the inside out. Your Democrats are the ones that destroyed the economy. Now we're trying to fix the economy by not spending so much damn money. We cannot spend so much money. We are spending way too much money. You, you, oh my God, there's a show on YouTube that is called financial audit. If financial audit, if we audited the United States government and found out exactly what they're spending their money on, we will actually see that we're spending way above our means every single year. So the fact that we want to now cut down our spending and now you're getting mad at it? No, that's a completely different ballgame. We need to take down our spending or else we're going to go into debt and we more debt than we already are. And we're going to default on our debt. That's the killer here. If we default on our debt, that's it. The United States is over. We cannot default on our debt. We need to keep spending to a minimum. If you need to eat at home instead of going at a restaurant, an analogy that we I like to tell everybody, if you can't afford to go out to eat, don't go out to eat. The other conservative position, which former Trump official Ross Vaught has been pushing on Capitol Hill is even more than more bonkers. It argues that if the debt ceiling is breached, then there is no problem because nothing really bad will happen as a result. And besides, say the economics advocating for Republicans to hold firm, the effects of more debt in spending will be significantly worse than the United States not making, honoring its debts. That stance also assumes that most important payments will be prioritized, despite officials saying that it it'd be mostly impossible to sort through all the payments that the government makes each day. And it also assumes that global economy wouldn't nosedive as sight of American America struggling to pay its debt debtors. Neither the group counting on Democrats to cave or the group arguing that the United States defaulting wouldn't be so bad is willing to accept that the debt ceiling is a terrible point of leverage. It has to be re raised regardless of what the conditions the GOP sets. The second best timing a thing for Republicans to do here would be to offer up a clean debt limit raise as Biden and Democrats have insisted and then have an honest conversation about next year's spending limits. An absolute best thing Republicans could do would be to admit that the debt ceiling has outlived any possible usefulness in supporting getting rid of it once and for all. Okay, but instead Republicans are beating the betting that their defense of a fake number in the name of cutting benefits to millions of Americans is a real winner. Okay, so first of all, first of all here, 60% of our national debt is things that we need to pay. Mandatory spending. The other 40% is, is optional spending. Right off the bat. So you are saying here, 60%. So 60% is Social Security and Medicare and Obamacare. 60%. If we cannot afford our payments to our debts or our debt collectors in the United States, and we cannot make our minimum payments every single month, then we need to have something. We need to give something. Okay. If your grandma paid into the system, then your grandma is going to get those benefits. But we cannot have anybody new starting on the system because we just keep adding and adding and adding and adding. And if there's a bill that we need to do, or if there's a bill that's due and we need some money, we take right out of the social security system. We cannot take out of the social security system if there is no 
beneficiary on the system. We cannot just take it out to build a, a bridge in somewhere in this in some school. No, Social Security, the bank account for Social Security and Medicare has to be just for that. First of all, and we should raise the age for retirement by two years. Okay, that might affect some people's retirement. It might not. Okay, if it does, then work two more years. What? The average age of American citizens dying is around 85. So if you are going to retire at 65, there you go. You have 20 years as a retirement, even if you had 15 years. 15 years is a long, long retirement. And that's just saying that if you die at 85, you might die at 90 or 95 or 100, God willing. So you have plenty of time to retire. Can I raise the retirement age because I'm paying to the, for the system too, okay? And I'm not going to retire with Social Security. It's going to go bankrupt. We can only afford 99% of the people that are on Social Security and Medicare this year alone. Now, for the grandmas, yes, you get paid, okay? But the cutoff is 65. If you're not 65, if you're 40, 64, it does not matter. If you're not 65, you do not get the benefits. And that's it. 65 and older gets the benefits. That's it. Once they pass away, that's it. No more benefits. We cut that right out. Now, in 15 years or so, boom, there's no more Social Security. There's no more Medicare. There's no more Obamacare. There's no more social incentives for the government to be giving back to the people. No, because now we get taxed less. We can use that money for ourselves. Social Security and Medicare gets taken out every single week from millions of Americans, every single American. Social Security and Medicare, we can save on that. If the government saves money, we save money. That's exactly how it's supposed to go. Moving on to the next article, we actually have a Daily Wire article. We have Bernie Sanders. Biden is going to win in a landslide. Wow, according to Bernie, because he knows who who is winning because he thought he was going to win in 2016. Senator Bernie Sanders predicted that President Don President Joe Biden would win win re-election in a landslide in 2024. Appearing in CNN's State of the Union Sunday, Sanders said that he takes a multitude of factors into account when choosing who to vote for. Sanders attacked Republicans as enemies of democracy and said Biden would win if Democrats prioritize supporting working people more. Well, quote, well, I think when you look at the candidate, you consider a lot, Sanders said. I think age is one thing. I think experience is another thing. I think your record that you have established is another thing. But to my mind, when you put it all together, when you have to look at it, what does the candidate stand for? What side are they on? Uh, are they on your side? Of, or the billionaire class's side? Or are they on the side of the working class of people? Look. It is not a great secret. I ran against Biden. No great secret that he ha and I have strong differences in opinions, he continued. But when I live in a nation, and, and when you have a major political party, the Republican Party, where many, not as not all, but many of their leadership doesn't even believe in democracy, they maintain the myth that Donald Trump won the last election. They are trying to keep people from voting. They're trying to deny women the right to control their own bodies and killing babies. So that's the whole issue out here. If you believe in a democracy, if you want to see people vote, not fewer people vote, I think the choice is pretty clear and that the choice is Biden. And second of all, what I do believe is that Democrats and the president have a stronger 
on have to be stronger on the working class issues. Sanders went on. They have to. They've got to make it clear that we believe in a government that represents all, not just a few. Take on the greed of instance companies, the drug companies on Wall Street, all big money interests, and start delivering on for working class people. You do that. I think Biden is going to win in a landslide. Sanders decided declined to. Sanders declined to run against Biden in the 2024 Democratic primary and endorsed Biden on Tuesday in an interview with CNN's Chris Wallace last week. Sanders said that Biden would not face a serious primary challenge because of right-wing extremism from Republicans. No, that's not... (laughs) That's not true, first of all. Right-wing extremism. Okay, so first of all, Donald Trump won in 2016, and you said that he was a right-wing extremist. So how are you going to say that a right-wing extremist in your own definition of the word cannot win again in 2024? Doesn't even make any sense, first of all. And Sanders, you're not saying that you're not going to run because of that. You're saying that because you're just so old. You're going to die. You're older than Joe Biden. Why isn't that not a single leading Democrat is willing to contest Biden's nomination in the primaries, asked Wallace. Why do you think that? I six. I suspect that it has nothing to do with the figure of the growth of the right-wing extremism in the country and that the Republican Party over the last number of years, accelerated by Trumpism, has not become not a conservative party, but a right-wing extremist party, Sanders replied. You have Republicans working overtime to deny low-income people, people of color, young people the right to vote. People defended the insurrection on January 6th. Oh, Bernie Sanders, you're just so stupid. I just can't even comment. It's just so stupid. No, right-wing extremism. That's a thing. Moving on to the next article, we have an article from the federalist how far will the corporate media go to cover for and re-elect joe biden how they did in 2020 the president's press conference sheet raises serious questions about journalistic ethics as well as his declining mental state like just about anything else that undermines the Democrats' preferred narratives, the giddy images photos that revealed that President Joe Biden's responses to questions at his joint press conference with South Korean President Yoon Suk-yeol earlier this week were scripted when mostly unreported throughout the corporate press and compared to the damage done by the out-of-control spending and woke policies at home and incoherent foreign policy abroad, Pursued by Biden, perhaps it isn't earth-shaking that he needs cheat sheets on those rare occasions when his handlers allow him to field live questions from the press. We've already seen plenty of evidence that the 80-year-old commander-in-chief requires printed cards with detailed instructions to navigate public events. He spent most of the 2020 presidential campaign doing virtual events. The press and public were given little or no access to him. That's continued since he entered the White House. Starting from his first meeting with his first formal press conference in March 2021, he has been carrying such cue cards with him in such settings. In March 2022, he was caught holding a card with answers to possible questions about the war in Ukraine. And in both in j- both a June and 2020, t- 2022, event with the wind industry executives and then 
a November 22 summit in Indonesia. The cameras were able to see the cue cards he carried that told him precisely what to do, with phrases like, you enter, you take your seat, you think participants, and you depart. And the and the concentration of his handlers, sometimes he reads the stage instructions aloud. But this week's cheat sheet goes above and beyond the usual embarrassment about an octarian president who was unable to reform without a script and often incapable of following it, the instru instructions he's given. It's one thing for the White House staff to tell the president what to do or even to supply him with answers or to possible questions that he can be relied on upon to remember without a script in front of him. It's quite another when members of the White House corpse are actively colluding with the charade. And that is what the photo of his presser sheet revealed. The card labeled question one in the reporter Q&A showed a picture of Los Angeles Times White House correspondent Courtney Subramanian, followed by a phonetic guide to pronouncing her name, and then the text of a question about a semiconductor manufacturing. Biden duly called upon Shabaran, who then did ask a question about the semiconductor, and it is likely to that others are called upon are required to do the same. This means that even when the staff allows Biden to face the press in live events, and he has held fewer press conferences than any president in the last 30 years, what we are seeing is something alone along the lines of the kabuki play and not anything the previous generations would have recognized as a usual opportunity for the press to get real answers about the issues of the day. This is appalling not just because it shows Biden is incapable of behaving as all of his predecessors have done and submit regular, regular, tory, regular to unscripted grilling from an often adverse, adversarial press corps. Given his age and his inability to get through public appearances without all manners of gaffes and evidence of confusion, what his cheat sheets demonstrate is that the corporate media consi considers itself obliged to assist the White House in a delightful, deceitful show aimed at demonstrating Biden is capable of governing, when that is not the case. That goes beyond his the unwillingness to virtually any member of the current White House press corps other than Fox News' Peter Dorsey to pose tough questions. This means that they have abandoned even the pre pretense that they are there to hold the administration accountable and are instead merely the media auxiliaries of the Democratic Party. Even more than just the disinterest in the public journalist's ethics, this kind of corporation shows that links to which some reporters and their bosses are willing to go to cover up Biden's incapability to serve. Part of the pattern, the willingness to of the press to go into the tank of the Democrats is nothing new. Last fall, legacy media journalists covered up the extent of Pennsylvania's Democratic Senator, Senate candidate John Fetterman incapability in the wake of a massive stroke. Their lies were, not, were only revealed when, in the sole debate of the race, Fetterman demonstrated that even the electronic aides he had trouble co comprehending questions and answering them in a coherent fashion. His recent return to the Senate after, after spending several weeks in the hospital to be treated for a severe depression showed that there was a little improve there was little improvement, but even 
Now, the, creep, the corporate media treat any mention of the problems as evidence as bad manners or prejustice against the disabled rather than a justified concern about a senator who cannot fulfill his duties. Biden's achievement of his intention to run for re-election next year puts this problem in clear focus. It is impossible for citizens to judge whether it is wise to elect a man already clearly in decline to severe until to serve until he is 86 when the people whose job it is to tell the truth about the government is reduced to supporting actors in a show aimed at covering up the truth this transcends and long stands the problem of liberal media bias like the press conving convincing the spread of the russian collision hoax and their assistance in the silencing the hunter biden laptop story playing along with the biden show is clear evidence of co corruption. It means that it is impossible to believe anything that the reporters who play this game write or say. This means that in the absence of the objective medical tests, they are made public in which and which the White House has shown no interest in conducting. No serious person can possibly accept the assertions about the Biden Biden's mental acuity that are being asked that are being asked to believe. And it's just sad because, yes, we don't want to see an old man deteriorate in front of our eyes, but that's sadly what we're seeing here. Now, moving into the next article, we actually have another article from The Federalist. We have, I taped a show with Tucker Carlson on censorship right before he was fired. More people must understand that destructive agendas depend upon the human impulse to self-censor. A few weeks ago, I had the great honor of sitting down with Tucker Carlson for an hour-long interview. As his departure from Fox News this past Monday, the interview has not been yet aired on Fox News Nation show Tucker Carlson today, and it would probably never see the light of day. This pains me not only personally, but because I believe our discussion was critical to helping more people grasp the human dynamics that led to the mass misery, loneliness, and dystopian policies we see all around us today. More people must understand that disruptive agendas depend upon the human impulse to self-censor. When we shut up or lie about what we believe in in hopes of fitting in, we give ab abdurant oxygen to tyrannical agendas. But with the exit of Carlson, Fox News is a huge step closer to declaring that it's completely on board with the media's monopoly efforts to create an illusion of an immunity of of, of thought. There, such illusions are meant to tease out the conformity, conformity impulse by making us feel all alone in our views and therefore less likely to express them. This is an essence of my book, The Weaponization of Loneliness, How Tyrants Stole Our Fear of Isolation to Silence, Divide, and Conquer. How ironic is my conversation with Carlson about the variability of human beings to have conversations in the era of censorship has been silenced in the wake of silencing on Fox News. And yet, it's entirely in line with my thesis about social isolation and as a we political weapon. The goal is to cut us off from information and ultimately to cut us off from one another until we are completely atomicized and socially controlled. Oasis of truth in a desert of lies. Any objective person can see that Carlson's Boldness and passion for the truth is refreshing oasis in the vast desert of lies produced by lockstep and lockstep by the pro propaganda media. Even if he wasn't always correct, he thought for himself and spoke up. With a great tonic for our times, I believe that the ultimate reason he was let go 
Voices like Carson cause the anti-thought brigades in politics and the corporate world to go back grindo all over the place. If they feel like they've picked off a big prize with Carlson's exit from Fox, they also feel freer to splatter the American landscape with more of their insanity and hatred for and mediocrity. Truth-telling has never gone over well with tyrants and petty rulers. We saw how Senator Chuck Schumer, Democrat from New York, went nuts over the prospect of Carlson providing Americans with access to the video of January 6th demonstrators against the election fraud. Schumer's obvious fear was that any new information would challenge the left's clear carefully constructed propaganda narrative that absurdly branded the four-hour incitement as a dangerous insurrection. Schumer, Schumer loudly demanded that Fox News owner Robert Murdoch deplatform Carlson, which Murder, Murdoch, Murdoch has now done. The lesson, if you refuse to be... If you refuse to comply with the, the media circle, then they will destroy you. That goes not only for Carlson, but far lesser voices like mine. He who listens best talks best. One of the most striking things about Carlson's long-form long interviews is that the capability of listening intensively and quietly. Aside from his immersive talent, he, pos he possesses qualities of genuine curiosity and humor that are short supply today, inversely virtually non-existent among our ruling elites, as Carlson sits attentively and then punctuates the discussion with a insightful questions, you can see that the wind spin the wheel spinning in his head as he puts together the bigger picture to make sense of the world. Then, of course, there is Carlson, the nicest guys, the nicest of guys who asked me the friendliest of questions about my background and family before our interview got underway. Predictably, Twitter has been filled with testimonials on Carlson's warmth. In kindness, indeed, we have reached out to the voiceless in pursuit of when pre previous precious few in the celebrity media would even think to do so. This is remarkable. This is what real friends like George Bailey do. On the other hand, the left appears to be at war with the friendship itself. They tend to see people as com commodities to be used rather than the political the potential bonds of real affection and knowledge. Tyrants throughout history have always treated ties of loyalty between individuals as dangerous threats to their collectionist agendas, often using some form of the struggle session to weaken people by turning them into social paradox. As bystanders become filled with fear of being rejected, more people become terrified of thinking out loud. Meanwhile, Carlson has been diffused the most essential device in the tyrant's toolbox, social isolation, by giving more and more people the, re the renewal of hope and can spark a rebirth of real conversation in America that would threaten to generate a butterfly effect of truth deadly to totalitarian to a communism. The more you tell the truth, I was honored to be present at Carlson's keynote speech at the 50th anniversary gala of the Heritage Foundation on February and Friday, April 21st, in which he continued to dive drive home his message of openness to the truth and coverage in expressing it. First off, he noted that what we were watching in America today defies any political labels. It can only be described in theological terms. Public policies such as the 
wanton castration of children and the outright celebration of abortion tells us plenty that we are actually in the throes of the spiritual battle between good and evil. Yet, sadly, we can coincidence all around us, people say, as people say things that they don't really believe, just to fit in with the crowd. As Carlson noted, this is due to a powerful herd impulse that takes over at moments like this, and in fact harnessed by bad people in the moments like this to produce informity. Carlson ended on a note of high optimism, and there is always a counter countervailing force of evil. It's called goodness. We see it in people who surprise us by confusing, refusing to go along to get along. We can't predict who will be that long, lone, brave person in the crowd who refuses Carlson is obviously not one to go along to go around, not one to go along through he, though he shuns the description of brave. But I think that he can deny that he's short of a joyful warrior America needs more of. Perhaps most important is that Carlson's reminder that the truth is contagious. The more you tell the truth, the stronger you become. And the more you lie, the weaker and the more terrified you become. His quote, not mine. Every American should take these words to heart. In his follow-up remarks, Carlson cited Elon Musk's statements that the most likely outcome is, uh, is also the most ironic outcome. Indeed, how ironic in light is of Carlson's dismissal two days later, at the height of his reach of in influence, presumably good for Fox, he would let go of the sin of expressing himself truthfully. But even though my greatest opportunity to discuss the weaponization of loneliness was silenced along with the Carlson's voice at Fox News, I will not stop talking about it. It's, cru it's crucial for a future that Americans learn more about those patterns of human philosophy that can lead us into isolation, misery, and ruin. Only then can we build counter st strategies. So thank you again, Tucker, for pulling me back the, pulling back the curtain on so many big lies. We know you're going to keep doing that. Thank you for listening. And I completely agree with this article. Of course I do. And this is a very, very heartwarming article because you can just tell in her voice that she just loved Tucker Carlson. Tucker Carlson is just a, a unfrem like a remarkable person for going out of his way to do countless of things for other people, even though he would get nothing in return for doing these things. It wasn't a paid sponsorship from the writer of this article, which was Stella Norbido, um, that went on Fox News. No, it was that he was doing this at the out of the, um, out of the loveness of the his heart. He was doing this out of the love that he has for the truth, and that the genuine friendship that them two have together. That's why he was doing this, not because he was going to get anything financially out of this. Of course, he gets paid for doing videos because that's what he does, but not by her. But with that being said, that's going to be it for the um, the headlines of or the media's takes. So if you do want to see the video that I uh, react to today, we're going to be reacting to Taylor Swift's song, Girls You Loved, All the Girls You Loved Before by Taylor Swift. So if you do want to watch me react to Taylor Swift, head over to Rumble so you can see the video or subscribe to me on Spotify. Thank you all for watching and I hope they have a great rest of your day. This show and every show by the Original Studios, this show and all the shows 
produced by the original studios is copyright original studios 2023 thank you all for watching and if you did enjoy this video i do post new episodes of the show every single monday wednesday and friday today is music wednesday so join me as we react to taylor swift taylor swift's song even though it is a couple years old but still it's really good thank you and have a great one